Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, have a link to something that we talked about in this segment of the program yesterday. I was telling the story about how I was driving past the McDonald's and, and the cars were just parked, I mean, all around the drive through out to the street. And I was trying to figure out what was happening. Well, it's because starting yesterday, they returned the McRib sandwich. Now, I understand what I said was extremely controversial, but I, I just I flat out don't get it. I just I do not understand what the appeal is. And matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, I sent out a picture of it. I it, normally when you look at food and pictures and things like that, you go, "Oh, that looks really good." And I, I look at the McRib sandwich, and and it just it makes no sense to me at all. Well, any event, maybe great minds think alike. Big story in the Washington Post today by one of their food critics talking about the McRib sandwich. And and I, I've got a link to it again on Twitter if you follow me, at Jeff Wagner 620 because nobody would ever suggest that anytime you would go to, say, a fast food place like a McDonald's, that you're, you're, you're going for health food. But if, if you look behind the scenes and pull back the curtain on the McRib, it's pretty darn scary. Now, I understand people get to make their own choices and things like that, but if you want to read what's really in the McRib, um, you know, you can, you can check it out. And kind of the history of the McRib sandwich and things like that, you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the story. Okay. The other thing that we talked about yesterday that got a huge response was this protest in Germantown on Tuesday evening. And the, the, the details get stranger and stranger because now apparently there, there were two arrests that were made, one protester and a 75-year-old woman who was attacked by the protesters. And I, both received citations. And, and I, it's one of these stories where I'm reading the story and I keep thinking there has to be more. And, and, and this, for whatever reasons, I think it might be in part the, the reluctance of the media to you know cover some of these protests with any degree of, of critical analysis. But I kept thinking there, there has to be something missing from this story. So came into work this morning and I called the Germantown police chief, whose name is uh, Mike Snow. And I, I, he left a message, called me right back. And we had a, a I think a very nice conversation answered all the different questions I had about what happened in Germantown. I want to share what Chief Snow told me in response to some of my questions, and then we're going to open up the phone lines and we're going to have a discussion. But but here's here's the deal. There is a group that calls itself the People's Revolution Milwaukee. This is... In large measure, it's the the group of protesters that have been obsessed with what happened in Wauwatosa for, you know, the the last seven, eight, nine months. This would be police officer Joseph Mensa, who was involved in the the shooting incident. He was subsequently found no basis for criminal charges. And I think everybody knows the story. You had these groups of protest, this group of protesters that did things like shut down the Cheesecake Factory, shut down Mayfair Mall, and have a variety of different protests all because they were upset with Joseph Mensa. Well, are they're upset now that Joseph Mensa, who they describe as a serial killer, despite the fact that no authorities believe he committed a crime, 
They, they wanted him gone from the police department. Well, now he's gone from the police department. The group is upset that the um, Fire and Police Commission, essentially the police commission in Wauwatosa, cut a deal rather than simply firing him and looking at years of litigation that would have cost the taxpayers if they lost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. They they cut a deal where Mensa gets some severance payments and benefits and things like that and then goes on his way. So the group is unhappy with that. The group is also unhappy that Wauwatosa Police Chief Barry Weber did not give in to the demands of the mob and fire Joseph Mensa immediately. So they don't like Weber. Now, Mensa's gone, but they're unhappy with with Weber. So what they've done and what they decided to do Tuesday night is go out to Germantown. And you might say, well, why would they go to Germantown? Well, that's because Wauwatosa Police Chief Barry Weber lives in Germantown. So that's the deal. All right. So so here, here's the background on this. This is not the first time this group has been in Germantown, according to the, the police chief out there. Apparently, once this summer, the group went out to Germantown, same motley group of protesters, and what they did is they staked out an area, an intersection near Chief Weber's home, and turned it into a block party. He said they had a band, they had they had loud music, they had keyboards and stuff, blocking traffic, disturbing the peace. So the group decided that they were going to do kind of an encore of that last week. Uh, no permit. No permit to march, no permit to assemble, nothing like that. So you have this group, the the so-called People's Revolution, show up Tuesday out at a park in Germantown. Um, the I asked the chief how many people were there, and he said, well, there were he said maybe 15 or 20 cars. He said, well, what happened is the group assembles at the park, and then they leave. Two cars in front driving very, very slowly. He said there were about 30 marchers. So we're not talking about hundreds of people. And then they were followed by a handful of cars. The group has no permit to to march no permit to scream and disturb the streets. I, I'm told as they were marching down the street, you've got people who are chanting, they are obstructing traffic, and they are screaming obscenities as part of the as part of the march. That's what the chief told me. You know, shouting, they're cursing, and things like that. Okay, so the police are are watching this. The police are in front of the group. The police are behind the group. But they're not stopping them from obstructing traffic. They're not stopping them from disturbing the peace. They're allowing to walk through Germantown, scream obscenities and things like that. At one point in time, apparently there's a 75-year-old lady who goes into the roadway as these marchers are going by and says, all lives matter. At that point in time, she is apparently surrounded by protesters who at least one sticks a sticks a phone in in her face now i say we, there there's no video of this i'm being told but but one of the protesters so the lady goes in all lives matter and then she's surrounded she's confronted and and you have somebody and we've seen this before people going up and they stick the phones in people's faces because ha we're we're going to do this we're going to intimidate you we're going to bully you and apparently what happens is a 75 year old lady when somebody sticks this phone in her face and she, she's saying all lives matter she like slaps at the person's hand to get the phone out of their face at that point in time she is attacked <laughs> she's she's pushed to the ground by a, another one of the these protesters, all right? So 
She's knocked down. She is not injured. That's the, the good news. She had a bruise on her arm or something like that. And the police, seeing this protester attack the 75-year-old lady, arrest the, the protester. All right. And again, the lady's uninjured. The, the march proceeds. But meanwhile, you now have members of the mob, the, the protesters, who are screaming at the police, why didn't you arrest the lady? Why didn't you arrest the lady? She came into the crowd. She slapped at that cell phone when we stuck it into her face. And at that point in time, uh, the police make the decision to um, go back and give the lady, who has now been pushed onto the ground, give her a citation for disorderly conduct as as well. Um, I, I asked the police chief about it, and he said, look, I, I understand this is going to be a matter that you, you can look at this in a number of different ways, and the DA is ultimately going to have to decide on this. Because my, my question was, Well, okay, if this whole thing was provoked by the marchers engaging in walking down the street and shouting shouting obscenities and things like that and engaging in disorderly conduct, shouldn't all the marchers have gotten tickets? And in any event, that I I don't know what their real basis for issuing the charges against the 75-year-old lady were, other than maybe the fact that when somebody sticks the cell phone in her face, she pushes the, the cell phone away. Now... I don't know. I think that's probably a pretty natural reaction. But in any event, that's where the matter stands now. And ultimately, the Washington County District Attorney is going to have to make a decision as to what happens here. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think that's a pretty fair, accurate, and and detailed recitation of, of what happened that contains details that I don't think have been made public before. Here's my take on this particular situation. There is no way in God's green earth that the district attorney in, Walk- in Washington County should pursue charges against the 75-year-old lady who was attacked and pushed to the ground by members of this protest group. The person who pushed the lady to the ground definitely deserves to be charged. But this idea that, all right, first of all, if people are shouting obscenities and chanting the fact that you, you know, you in response say all lives matter, that number one to me is not disorderly conduct unless you're charging everybody with disorderly conduct. But, but number two, all right, if at that point in time, you know, people confront you, they stick cell phones in your face, and we've all seen these bullying type of tactics. I do not believe it is disorderly conduct. I do not believe it is assault for you to push that cell phone out of people's faces. And it's certainly not a justification for you subsequently to be pushed to the ground. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't really want to talk about, I guess, the decision to you know I- issue a, a ticket because the mob was saying, oh, give, them, give her a ticket. I want to talk about where we go here. And I cannot imagine under any circumstances, how you would be able to secure a conviction against a 75-year-old woman under these circumstances who was actually the victim of an assault. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss next. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Okay, here's a tweet to start us off. Jeff, the 75-year-old woman was provoking the crowd by saying all lives matter. She is the instigator. Okay, so the 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 mob walking down the street, screaming slogans, chanting obscenities. They can do all that stuff, but the lady who then says all lives matter, she is the instigator for this. Okay, 
I guess that's one way of looking at it. 855-616-1620. Not how I do it, though. Let's start with Robert uh, in Brookfield. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff, and thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Number one, 100% agree with you. There's no DA that's going to look at this and say, we're going to charge this 75-year-old lady. That's just not going to happen. The second thing that probably bothers me a little bit more than this is, and uh, I have a lot of friends on the Milwaukee Police Department, some really, really good guys, and they always tell me one thing, what makes a good cop and a good department is the ability to use common sense and apply it to a situation and resolve the matter. Mm -hmm. So apparently, in my opinion, from the way you described the story, is in Germantown, they just can't apply common sense. And shame on them. This should have never, there, there should have never been a disorderly conduct ticket, uh, ticket written against this lady. Yeah. At all. You know, th- thanks for calling. I mean, my, my sense, and this is just my sense, is that you, you've got this mob of people who's upset that um, after the after the 75-year-old lady was attacked, that the, the attacker is arrested, and then so that the mob starts screaming, they're, they're upset. Well, the, the lady started, she yelled, all lives matter. And then when, when somebody stuck a phone in her face, in her personal space, she pushed that phone away. Well, and, and my, my sense is that the police were just trying to cool things down and... Um, so, so that's why they issue the citation to try to make the mob happy. Now, the problem is you're never going to appease the mob. And that, to me, is one of the larger questions, not for the Germantown police force necessarily, but for all these police forces all over. I mean, h- how much of this stuff do we allow to happen? And, and I say that sincerely. If you and a handful of your friends decided that you wanted to march down the, the street with the idea that you're going to block traffic and disturb the peace, my guess is that you're not going to get uh, uh, you're not going to get much leeway um, with regard to that from different police. What why we are giving these protesters all the I, I don't know all the, the, this this full leash? Why we're giving them that? I I, I fail to understand. And uh, again, things like this become inevitable. But these tactics that are employed by the the protesters, and you've all seen this. This you, you take the cell phones. You see that constantly with the police. They, they get in the face of police and they stick the cell phones in the police, and they're trying to bait a response. Well, in this particular case, yeah, they got a response from a seventy-five-year-old lady who apparently pushed the cell phone out of her face. And then that's supposed to now be the justification to attack her. I'm sorry. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I'm not going to criticize the police for issuing the citation. The district attorney, this is one. You take a look at it. And if you bring these charges, good luck trying to get... Good luck trying to get 12 people in Washington County that are going to agree beyond a reasonable doubt that what this 75-year-old woman did constituted a crime. Let's talk to Bob in Grafton. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, I think that uh, she once shouldn't have been issued a ticket. And I, I really think the, the major problem we're having is having this protest allowed in the first place. Right. Um, even in my area and stuff like that, this is, you don't want to be sitting in your house at 9 o'clock at night with people screaming and yelling outside your door. Um, and the police are not doing anything about it. I know that they get their hands tied a lot of times and they can't do much about it. But if you don't have a permit, if this wasn't, they didn't block traffic and didn't have a permit, let's get them out of there. This never would have happened in the first place. 
Um, well, um, we well, really, yeah. well, no, you're, you're, I mean, thanks, thanks, you're, you are exactly right. If the, if, if the group, um, did not drive slowly down the street, block traffic, disturb the peace, scream obscenities and do things like that, right, it, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have resulted in this response. I, I guess, look, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really curious as to what theory, if the district attorney goes ahead and pursues charges, and I don't think he's going to, it, it, it's clearly can't be the idea that you can, you say, all lives matter, and you are the instigator when you've got group, the group that's walking and protesting and screaming whatever they want. Okay, you, you have the right, I would seem to me, to be able to respond in, quote-unquote, in-kind, although I don't know that all lives matter is really an in-kind sort of response to what I'm told some of the things the group was chanting were. But the idea is, okay, if people are going to get in your face and you're now going to push that phone aside, that that's now going to constitute a a criminal misdemeanor offense, well, you really are empowering the mob. And that, I think that's a a bad thing to to do. And and yeah, this is one of these deals where I I think for the surrounding communities and Wauwatosa, we we have given the protesters lots and lots of latitude as far as, in the case of this particular group, letting them close down Mayfair Mall, letting them block intersections and things like that. Well, now it's starting if they're going to move into some of these different suburbs. And again, again, we wonder why are they in why are they in Germantown? Well, it's only because the Wauwatosa police chief lives in, in Germantown. And so I, I don't know. what What's the purpose that we're trying to accomplish here? We're going to try to go and, I don't know, disturb the peace in his neighborhood so his neighbors say, gee, Barry, we'd, we'd like you to step down like the mob is asking. I, I you, you even wonder what this group is trying to accomplish. But the bottom line of all this is... If people as part of this group are going to assault 75-year-old ladies for screaming black, uh, all lives matter, and then pushing their hands when somebody sticks a phone in their face, well, okay, if we're going to empower the group in that fashion, it's going to be a long couple years. Hopefully, the district attorney is going to dismiss the charge against the lady. We're going to move on, and hopefully the Germantown police might even be more aggressive next time if the group decides to go back and stage another one of these quote-unquote protests with regard to enforcing the law and not allowing the peace to be disturbed and not allowing 75-year-old ladies to be assaulted. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Major setback for the Trump campaign seeking to overturn Wisconsin election results. And this happened within the last 45 minutes or so. I I won't bury the lead. The state Supreme Court, by a vote of four to three, with the four liberal judges, three liberal judges joined by one conservative judge, Justice Hagerdorn, um said no, that they are not going to take the case. Let me explain. At least they're not going to take the case um, without it going through the lower courts. So let, let me kind of walk through this. The Electoral College, which where the electors cast the votes, which ultimately determines who the president is, that is scheduled to meet on December 14th. Under federal law, next Tuesday... which would be what, next Tuesday would be December 8th. Um, Next Tuesday is what they refer to as the safe harbor date, 
recognized in federal law. And that says that any challenges to election results are to be resolved by that that date, next Tuesday, because the Electoral College meets on December 14th. Now, you can still litigate things, but um, if it's not decided by next Tuesday, what that means is there's a greater likelihood that um, the the state's electoral votes might not count. That's So that's why it's important to have all these electoral challenges wrapped up by next Tuesday. So I think we've talked about this before, that the Trump campaign filed a, a lawsuit alleging really four different major flaws with the Wisconsin electoral process. They alleged that all the early absentee in-person votes in Milwaukee and in Dane County should be thrown out, all of them. And again, the practice used in Milwaukee and Dane County is no different than the practice used in the other 70 counties, but the, the Trump campaign targeted the two in Dane County and Milwaukee County. The argument is that when you go in to vote early vote absentee, like like I do, you, you go up to the clerk's office, you show them your photo ID, you tell them where you live, they check you off, they verify that you're who you say you are, they give you the ballot, you fill out the ballot, you put it in the envelope, you give it to the clerk, and then you, you go on your way. The Trump campaign was arguing that hundreds of thousands of votes cast in that fashion should be tossed out because when you show up to vote in person, you don't fill out a separate request saying, give me an absentee ballot. So the Trump campaign was arguing that, again, hundreds of thousands of votes in Dane County and in Milwaukee County should be thrown out. But that would entail uh, that that's the same practice that they use all through the rest of the state. That is a practice that had been, uh, again, the practice that they follow as far as how you get your early in-person voting has been a practice that they've used in Wisconsin for years and has been supported by Republican attorney generals and uh, attorneys general and Democrat attorneys general. So the Trump campaign was trying to throw those out. They were arguing that the fact that clerks will fill out information on the outside of the ballot that might have been incomplete, that, that that was a violation of election law, and a couple other arguments that candidly, I, I think probably really weren't going to go anywhere on their merits and were frustrating to me because these are the practices that we've been using for elections for the, the last X number of elections. And it wasn't a problem in 2016 when Donald Trump won Wisconsin, but now it's a problem in 2020 when Donald Trump lost Wisconsin. I, I think that's a tough pill to swallow. In any event, the, the Trump campaign, aware of these these deadlines, they filed the lawsuit challenging all these different things. They ask the state Supreme Court to take the case directly. Let's not fool around with the circuit court where we filed the case. Let's not fool around with the appellate courts because that could take weeks or, or months and the case would ultimately get to the state Supreme Court. So they say, we want the state Supreme Court just to hear this case. And again, um, the decision just coming down is the Supreme Court, by a vote of four to three, said they weren't going to hear the case on an expedited basis. Now, this this isn't a ruling on the merits, but but it effectively at least is as far as trying to change the election results this time around, because 
What now happens is the Trump campaign can go to a lower court and they can make the argument in front of the trial court and then, you know, whoever loses can appeal it to an appellate court and then the appellate court can decide and they can then, um, the Trump, whoever loses can try to take it up to the Supreme Court. But the bottom line of it is we're sitting here talking about this on Thursday. The safe harbor thing ends on Tuesday. There's no way, there is no way you get a decision, a binding decision going through those different multiple court processes over the course of five days. You just can't do it as a practical matter. If the state Supreme Court had heard it on an expedited basis, um, I, I guess there's a chance that they could have issued a ruling on the merits. But again, by a four to three vote, three liberals and one conservative, um, they decided they're, they're not going to hear the case on an expedited basis, which as a practical matter ends the lawsuit to the extent that it is trying to overturn the results of this election. Now, it may be that the matter goes through the courts and ultimately moving forward, you, you get rulings as to, you know, whether or not we, we need to change the process we've been using for early absentee voting and that you can't, it's not sufficient just to go in and show your photo ID and, and get a ballot. Do you actually have to fill out a separate slip of paper, which seems to me to be useless, unnecessary, and not in the interest of trying to encourage people to, to vote. But, but you know, maybe that's the case. But from the perspective of whether or not the this particular election result is going to be overturned, the fact that the state Supreme Court has chosen not to take the case pretty much ends the case as a practical matter. There are two federal lawsuits that are also floating around. Um, One asks that the Republican-controlled legislature decide how to cast Wisconsin's electoral votes. Um, And then there's another similar case floating around in federal court making the same arguments that they tried to make in state court. Um, My my guess is there's no way a federal judge at this point in time, especially with the state court saying they're not going to handle it, there's no way any federal judge in Wisconsin is going to intervene and say, no, I'm going to require the legislature to decide who won Wisconsin. So as a practical matter, the whether you like it or not, whether you think it's right or not, as a practical matter, the, the Trump litigation in Wisconsin has come to an end with the Supreme Court deciding not to take the case on an expedited basis. Back with more in just a minute. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. A number of people are asking, does the Supreme Court get to decide whether they're going to take cases or not? And the answer is yes. I mean, the, the Supreme Court gets to decide what cases they're going to accept, and they also get to decide under what circumstances they're going to accept them. And in this particular case, like I say, the ruling today is not on on the merits of the underlying case. It's simply saying we're not going to take this without it going through the lower courts first. And because of the timing involved in this, uh, by making that decision, you pretty much guarantee, well, you guarantee as a practical matter that the results are not not going to be overturned. Okay, another new development. Um, the district attorney's office in Milwaukee County has decided that they are going to try to waive the 15-year-old thug who was involved in the shooting at Mayfair Mall a couple weeks ago, they are going to try to waive him into adult court. They want to treat him as an adult. The um, 
perpetrator's attorney is fighting that. Here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. 15-year-old boy charged with shooting eight people at the Mayfair Mall should be tried as an adult, prosecutors say. Uh, the teen's lawyers will contest his transfer from juvenile court. Now, I mean, now, first of all, you have to keep the background here before we go into what the kid did, or at least allegedly did. This is not his first time at the rodeo. He he was already on supervision for a prior delinquency action. So he has been in the system. And like I say, you, you've got, especially with the juvenile justice system, and I put that in quotation marks, you, you, you've got you to work to get yourself stuck in the juvenile justice system because, generally speaking, the first time you act up, you're told not to do it again. The second time, you're told, okay, we're going to put you on probation. Then it's double secret probation. If you have, in fact, been a judge delinquent, that means you've either done something really bad or there's been a pattern of escalating bad behavior. But in any event, before what happens at Mayfair happens, the kid is apparently um, on supervision for prior I'm going to say criminal behavior. I mean, it's called a delinquency action because it's juveniles. So, I mean, here's what authorities say happened. Remember, eight people were wounded in the shooting near Macy's at Mayfair on November 20th. Dozens of police responded to the scene. The mall was subsequently closed. We all remember that story. Um, According to the delinquency petition, the kid, the 15-year-old, and a friend were in the mall when the friend confronted a group of people descending an escalator, yelling before punching one of the group. Witnesses told police that the teenager, this would be the 15-year-old, farther back took a shooter's stance and with a handgun drawn from his waistband began firing. I I mean, it's a miracle that there aren't people dead. It it, it really is. You've got this 15-year-old punk who's, again, he's on supervision for, you know, prior misbehavior. He's at Mayfair with a gun in his waistband that he pulls out and then starts shooting indiscriminately. After the shooting, the teen and his friend, the kid who was struck by, the friend was struck by gunfire, stopped in the Enzo store before fleeing the mall. What is the, do you know what Enzo, I don't know what an, an Enzo store is either. So if they stop, hey, let's do some shopping. We've shot up Mayfair Mall. Let's let's go check out the Enzo store. Um, surveillance video from Best Buy across from the mall showed the suspect running from the mall, getting into an orange SUV. An Uber, investigators learned, had been called by a number associated with the teen's father. Okay, so the implication of this, and again, is that, that the kid's father... After the shooting, calls an Uber to go pick up the kid. When the 15-year-old was arrested, he was in a car with Illinois license plates with a packed bag and the same Glock 9mm handgun used in the mall shooting. The district attorney's office is attempting to waive the young man into adult court. His attorney is fighting it. Let, Let me put it like this, at least in my opinion. Some decisions are some decisions are tough. Some decisions are really hard, and you've got to, like, really think about them. And then some decisions are really easy. And to me, a 15-year-old with a prior record um, and a prior delinquency action against him, who is already on supervision, who shoots up Mayfair Mall with a handgun that he's got stuck in his waistband, and then apparently, at least by inferentially, is in the process of trying to blow the state before he gets arrested— this, to me, is not one of these hard situations. Of course you wave him into adult court, and of course 
if in fact he is convicted of this, you, number one, to protect the general public, number two, to punish him, and number three, to send a message, you send him to prison, and you send him to prison for a long period of time. And keep in mind, again, it is but for the grace of God that you did not have, you know, eight people dead at the Mayfair uh, Mall, as opposed to, you know, people who are injured. Because as we frequently say on this program, anytime there is a shooting, it has the potential to be a homicide. And generally speaking, the only reason it's not is either because of good emergency medicine, a poor aim, or just flat-out, old-fashioned good luck. Of course you move the kid into adult court. It's a no-brainer. And this is Jeff Wagner, so very glad to have you with us. Do you remember your favorite gift as a child? Maybe it was a Beanie Baby. Maybe it was a book. Maybe it was a new record. Maybe it was an 8-track tape player. Some families aren't so fortunate, however, and that's where you come in. Capco's Kids to Kids Toy Drive is celebrating its 15th year, and this year, as you might expect, the need is greater than ever. Please join us tomorrow. That would be Friday, December 4th, for a day-long radiothon as we raise money to help make sure every child has a memorable Christmas. All proceeds benefit Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland. For more information, go to WTMJ.com. Matter of fact, we're taking my program on the road. I'm going to be out at Capco in Germantown from noon until 3. I'll be broadcasting live from our mobile broadcast facility um, as we do the Radiothon all day. So very much looking forward to that. It's always a wonderful event. Now, one of the things that has, has bothered me about the efforts to overturn the election results has been some of the stuff that's thrown around. Oh, the elections are fixed. It, it, and, and this is already playing out in Georgia. Coming up in Georgia in January are two very important runoff elections. Right now, there are 50 Republicans in the, in the U.S. Senate. There are 48 Democrats. There is a runoff in Georgia for two seats. Georgia is a Republican or should be a Republican-leaning state, all right? Well, what th- that those elections matter because if Democrats were to pick up both of those seats, it would be 50-50, which means the vice president would break all ties. And, and that's a huge difference because if the Republicans control the Senate, that means there's going to be some checks on what President Biden, and he will be President Biden, can do with regard to appointments and taxation and all sorts of things. If, on the other hand, the Democrats have a, are able to control things, you're going to have an incredible pressure from the progressive side, the left, to do all sorts of stuff. And so that's why these Georgia elections are extremely important. Well, here's part of the problem. There are already some people who are buying into this, why should we turn out and vote? The, The president says the results are rigged. This election was fixed. He won the election. And so the argument that's already being made by some people is, well, why should people go out and vote? Because if it's going to be fixed anyways, you know, what, what, what difference does it, does it make? And of course, that's why telling people that election results aren't legitimate, especially when you don't have any meaningful evidence to do that, that's why it's so dangerous, because it suppresses the vote. And if you don't think votes matter, well, you know, we talked about the other day the Republican congressional candidate in Iowa who won by a total of six votes. There is a Republican uh, in New York who um, just won um, her election, but um, they won by, by 12 votes. 
won by 12 votes out of tens of thousands of votes that were cast. Now, the interesting aspect of that election is they just found, 50, quote unquote, found 55 extra votes, but the, the votes come from a Republican area, so, and they're from registered Republicans, so the thinking is that it's not going to switch the election. If anything, the margin's going to increase from 12 votes to maybe 20 or 22 votes or whatever. But I bring this up simply to say, Elections matter. Elections are close. And I understand that people can be disappointed with the outcome. We can also have a discussion about better practices or the things that we can do to better run elections. And I think that's fair. But I also think it's dangerous to try to suggest to people, oh, don't vote. Don't participate because your vote doesn't matter. You know, talk to any of these congressional candidates who won by a dozen or two dozen or six or half a dozen votes. They'll tell you every vote matters. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. If, by the way, you think I am, I'm making up stuff about, well, the, 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 the Trump campaign or Trump supporters wouldn't intentionally try to undercut efforts in Georgia, which might stop Republicans from being able to retain control of the U.S. Senate and, and might try to, therefore, have some limits on Joe Biden's tendencies to move to the left. I, I have in my hands a story, USA Today. They have not earned your vote. Trump allies urge Georgia Republicans to sit out Senate runoffs. Here's the story. Allies of President Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the election urged Republicans in Georgia on Wednesday to stay at home for the January 5th Senate runoffs, arguing Trump supporters shouldn't take part in another rigged election. I swear you cannot make this stuff up. Attorneys Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell, she's the, the crazy one that filed the, that, that is too crazy even for the Trump campaign after this press conference where she's saying, oh, it's, it's, it's Hugo Chavez and it's China and it's Russia and it's all these types of things. She's the one who filed the lawsuit late last week, I believe, um, or early this week, uh, trying to seek to overturn the Wisconsin electoral results. She filed it in the name of the Wisconsin Republican candidate who lost in the lacrosse area without his permission. I mean, what, what kind of responsible lawyer does that? And the answer is no responsible lawyer does it. Anyhow, attorneys Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell told a crowd of Trump loyalists not to vote for either of the two Georgia incumbent Republican senators, Kelly Loeffler or David Perdue, during a, quote, Stop the Steal gathering in Alpharetta, Georgia. The event, billed as a press conference, but resembling the raucousness of a Trump rally, was filled with wild conspiracies and falsehoods about last month's election. Attention then turned to the runoff elections. Where is Kelly Loeffler here? Where is David Perdue, said Wood, who unsuccessfully sued Georgia trying to stop the certification. He ought to be standing right here don't be fooled twice this is georgia we ain't dumb don't be fooled twice this is georgia we ain't dumb we're not going to vote on january 5th on another machine made by china you're not going to fool georgians again if kelly lofter wants your vote if david purdue wants your vote they've got to earn it I, i mean you just want to stop your head from exploding yeah this is this is a really good move we've got a contested election where the left is highly motivated to try to pick up these two seats and then you have some of these crazy conspiracy theorists who like i say they're they're too wacky even for the trump campaign um they're the ones telling people don't go out and vote i mean honest to goodness you see that One of the reasons the Democrats underperformed 
in the 2020 elections was because I think a lot of their candidates got tarred with the craziness of the defund the police movement and things like that. That That's that's a fringe argument that's out there. And I think a lot of candidates who might have been more mainstream, they ended up getting dragged into the defund the police stuff, and there was a backlash. Right? Th- this is the same sort of thing. I mean, if Republicans lose one or both of these seats in Georgia, and they should win both of them, because you've got a handful of some of the people really, really far out there telling other people don't go out to vote. I mean, my goodness, what's the thing from the old Pogo comic that I've seen the enemy and he is us? Hmm. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. Chris Collinsworth. Everybody know who Chris Collinsworth is? Former um, wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals, I believe. But um, he's he's the lead color analyst on NBC Sunday Night Football. Been doing that for years. And I actually I like him. I think he does a I think he does a, a pretty good job. He is in all sorts of controversy. Okay, yesterday afternoon. They had the, the yeah, Wednesday afternoon football. Um, you had the game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens. And this was a game that had been post- it's supposed to be on Thanksgiving. It had been postponed multiple times because Baltimore, like the whole team, tested positive for COVID. I'm exaggerating, but just a little bit. So anyhow, um, during the broadcast of yesterday's game, Collinsworth is, you know, he, he's just talking in front of an open microphone like we do. And, and he's actually talking about Pittsburgh fans and what he's trying to do is I think he's trying to I don't know applaud how good Pittsburgh fans are it's only 10 seconds here's what he says He's a fan, in particular the ladies that I met. They had really specific questions about the game. I was like, wow, you're just blown away by how strong the fans are here in this town. Okay, so he's he's talking about what great fans Pittsburgh are. And, and this is the whole statement. He says, everybody's a fan. In particular, the ladies that I met, they have a real, they have really specific questions about the game. And I'm like, wow, you're just blown away by how strong the fans are here in this town. Okay. So th- that's what he ends up saying. And, and, and actually, as he explained later, he said, I, I was actually, I ran into these, these two women who were, were somewhere. And, I, you know, I was just, I was blown away by how intense the fans are. But these, these two women were coming up and they were, they were really into it and asking all these different questions. So he said, I was trying to acknowledge, I was, th- when I was talking about how great the fans are, I was in particular thinking about these two women who came up and were talking to me. All right. Well, that's what he says. And again, the statement is everybody's a fan, in particular the ladies that I met. They have really specific questions about the game. And I'm like, wow, you're just blown away by how strong the fans are here in this town. No sooner does he say this, but on social media, it just the, the, the world explodes by people saying how sexist this guy is. How dare you, you know, single out female fans and I- imply that. Um, gee, this was these were, you know, ladies and that they were asking questions. And how dare you even imply that ladies can't um, understand, you know, football? How would you be so blown away that people would understand football? Our, that women in particular. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I and, and, and as soon as this comes out, 
uh, Collinsworth immediately is forced to issue an apology. He says, look, today on our broadcast, I made reference to a couple of women I met in Pittsburgh who so impressed me with their football knowledge that I wanted to tell their story on the air. Um, I know, I guess the way I phrased it insulted many. I'm sorry. What I intended as a compliment to the fans of Pittsburgh became interpreted as an insult. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Hey, did... Did, did Collinsworth say anything that he really should have had to apologize for? Now, I mean, did, did he did he really say, boy, I can't believe that we had women in Pittsburgh who understood football? I mean, I guess I look at this and I, I lump this into the category of, of almost no good deed goes unpunished. He's talking about what great fans there are in Pittsburgh. He singles out two. Said these, these two women came up to me and, you know, they, they were asking me all these, these great questions. The fans are really, really strong. And people say, oh, how sexist that is. Is that a fair criticism? 855-616-1620, where are people just being overly sensitive? And particularly, I'd like a female perspective here. I mean, when you listen to what uh, Collins said, Collinsworth says, in context, was he really insulting women or implying that women don't know anything about football? I, I think he was... Again, he's he's recognizing how intense the fans are, and he's thinking about this fan encounter he had, and it happens to be women, so he's trying to recognize them, and no good deed goes unpunished. Okay, now he's apologized, but should he have had to? Did he say something that was really sexist and that reasonable people would be offended by? Or is this just this Internet outrage where everybody wakes up looking for something to be bothered about? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back in a minute. He's a fan, in particular the ladies that I met. They had really specific questions about the game. I was like, wow, you're just blown away by how strong the fans are here in this town. So now Collinsworth has been forced to apologize. And I guess I've listened to this on multiple occasions, and he's talking about Gee, the fans are really intense. He is relating a story about these two women that came up and were asking him these great questions and things like that, and he's just kind of doing a shout-out to them, and this somehow gets turned into a, oh, this is this sexist guy who's implying that women don't know anything about football. I, I mean, seriously? I, you, it just seems to me you got to be working really, really hard to go from what Collinsworth said, and I'm not, I, I, I don't know Chris Collinsworth from you know Adam's cat, I, but you got to go really far from what he said to, oh, this guy is implying that women don't know anything about football. Uh, isn't that a leap? Amanda in uh, Greenfield. Amanda, you're on WTMJ. Hi. So I was mentioning I really feel sorry for men these days because I feel like they're put in a no-win situation. You know, so many women are striving for equality and we want to be considered equally in, as in intelligence and smarts and whatever as men. And then when they're recognized for it, then men are called sexist. Yeah. I just I feel bad. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to personalize this. I mean, I'm seeing maybe it's because of what I do for a living in front of an open microphone. I'm I'm trying to think of if I was going to tell a story about, hey, I, I was giving a speech in Germantown and I was amazed at how. I was just impressed with with how tuned into the issues the audience was. And, and by the way, I had these two ladies that came up to me, and, and they were asking me all these detailed questions about this, and it was just amazing. That's like saying, oh, you're sex. 
sexist because are you implying that women don't know about politics? No, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying I was impressed with how intelligent and the great questions that the whole crowd was asking. And I was thinking about these two women to kind of single them out. It's, you almost can't win. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I agree. It's sad because you can't please everybody and there's always going to be someone who complains about something. But for women, we should just accept that people are actually acknowledging yeah. that we are worth more than certain <laughs> yeah. things. Well, cool. and, and, and then look, and, and I mean, I, I say this when we talk about racism as well. I, I understand that there's real sexism in this world. I, I, I get it. I, I understand that. I mean, you're talking to a guy who's um, my, my late wife was just, I mean, she broke through all sorts of glass ceilings, as did my current wife. I could not be prouder of them. And I know over the years, both of them had to confront, you know, realistic issues of sexism and things of, of that. And but it, it, so I'm, I'm very, very sensitive to these types of things. But at the same time, then you, you turn around and you hear somebody was really offended by that. Really? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to um, Pete in Mesquite. Pete, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I wonder if he had said I met these two guys in a bar that knew a lot about football. If these same people from the Society for the Perpetually Offended would have said, hey, doesn't he think women know more about football? Yeah, I mean, right. He, he's yeah. No, thank, I mean, thanks for, yeah, he, yeah. He's telling a story. <laughs> That's exactly it. You know, you're you're. Thank, and I mean, and by the way, and I understand exactly what he's doing. He he's personalizing the story. He he sits there and he says, "Hey, hey, I want to do a shout out to how good I think the the Pittsburgh fans are. If anything, you know, maybe you could crit- criticize him for being pandering or something like that, since he's doing the broadcast in in Pittsburgh. But you know, so he's like, oh, I, I you know, I, I'm interacting with these fans, and these two ladies come up and they're asking all these great questions i i'm it never occurred i am positive it never occurred to chris collinsworth that somebody was going to listen to this and think that he was dissing you know women or suggesting that women couldn't understand football or, or things like that he was just telling the darn story um uh jeff um <laughs> that's uh let's see jeff there's female coaches and referees in the nfl yeah yes there are jeff um let's see um Collinsworth's statement was ineloquently phrased and off the cuff. Well, I don't even know if it was ineloquently phrased. Um, Jeff, I was talking to these two guys, and they were really enthusiastic about the game. What's the difference if you substitute guys for ladies? Yeah, that's the point that the last caller was making. Jeff, ridiculous. He shouldn't apologize. He was paying them a compliment. I'm a female and a huge, knowledgeable Brewers fan. If somebody said that about me related to the Brewers... I would be honored. Jeff, people are too sensitive. Get real. I'm a woman, and I take it as a compliment. Um, yes. Jeff, Collinsworth is nothing but a loud mouth and then a word I cannot use on the radio. I always turn the sound off when he's on. <laughs> okay. I guess, guess you lump that in the category. Th- those are the people that are, are looking to kind of like bring Chris Collinsworth down because he said, oh, these fans are really knowledgeable. Um, let's see. One of the main issues with social media is that it provides a platform for extremists and idiots. Um, most often people just looking for attention. Jeff, no apology should have been necessary. I'm a female Packers fan and still learning. I'm not awed by the knowledge of the game. My 17 year old, I am awed by the knowledge of the game that my 17 year old granddaughter has. These social media desperately need to get a life. Um, Jeff, no insult or apology needed. Um, I spent a lot of time in Boston, and some of the women I met at Fenway were really into the game statistics more than I've seen in Milwaukee. They were hand-scoring the game, too, as do I. It's a compliment and an observation. People desperately need to get over it. Um, yes, 
No question about it. So what can you do? In any event, Chris Collinsworth ended up apologizing, trying to put an end to this. And I, I get it. He wants to get it past him. But really, is this a legitimate dispute or is this just another one of these examples of people on the Internet waking up one day, the perpetually offended, the politically correct, looking for something to get upset about? And it was probably four o'clock in the afternoon and they hadn't found anything yet that day. So this is what it is. Give me a break. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Whenever a story like this comes out, I inevitably get a a number of questions from people saying, see, this is the problem. And all you guys, meaning me, who have encouraged the police to chase people, you're responsible, or you could be responsible when these sorts of things happen. Now, let me back into this. For years and years in the city of Milwaukee, um, a policy was developed under the former police chief, Ed Flynn, with the blessing of Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett, who's just gotten progressively, progressively, I don't want to say he's pro-criminal, but he's been progressively anti-police and and anti-law and order, at least in my opinion, over the last several years. They developed this policy that we don't want people to chase. And and it was because you had a couple very high-profile instances of people who got in the middle of these police chases and you had bad results, which, which is an unfortunate sort of thing. But once the word got out that the Milwaukee police did not chase, what happened? Everybody ran. Every First of all, you had all these drug dealers who said, okay, well, this is cool now. This is a license to sell dope because what we'll do is instead of selling drugs out of houses, we'll, we'll – put our, our all the we'll turn our cars into like rolling drug delivery things and and when we get spotted doing a drug deal or something we'll just drive away at 90 miles an hour because we know the cops aren't going to chase us and then you had the the thing about you know, anybody who knew that if, if you steal a car and you decide to run you're not going to get followed if you go through a, a red light and you decide that you want to drive away at 85 miles an hour endangering people we know that you're not going to chase and, and what it led to was this complete disregard for the law It led, in my opinion, to a lot more criminal behavior, and it led to a lot more reckless driving. Well, along comes Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales who says this, this this is not the way we're going to do things you know and and you know, we're we're not going to have a 90 mile an hour chase down i don't know Wisconsin Avenue back when there were people on Wisconsin Avenue at two o'clock in the afternoon but yes we're we are going to broad, expand broadly the types of times we we chase and we understand that th- there's going to be a balance and we also understand that sometimes um, innocent people could end up getting hurt, but the alternative is just to letting the criminals drive away, and we're not going to do it. So here's the story from yesterday. Apparently, what happened is about 7.30 at night on, on West Mitchell Street and South 5th, so the, the near south side of um, Milwaukee, what happens is the there's a marked squad car, sees a vehicle with no license plates, and um, no license plates driving at a very high rate of speed that blows through a red light. Okay, so you're you're in the you're in the police car. You see the car, no plates, drives through at a high rate of speed, blows through a red light. Well, you know what do you do? Well, I guess under previous administrations, what you would do is let the guy drive off. But they decide, no, we're we're not going to do it. So they hit the lights and they start to follow the car. 
what ensues is a, a brief, a brief chase. By that, I mean the driver of the car who's blown through the red light at a high rate of speed without plates tries to pull away, tries to drive away from the squad car. The squad car chases the vehicle for about a minute. So this isn't something that goes on for 10 or 15 minutes. It's about a minute when the idiot driving the car loses control of the car and rolls it down an embankment at, at Water Street in Pittsburgh, if you can kind of picture that, again, on the on the near south side. The vehicle comes to rest on the edge of the Milwaukee River. Two people... 38-year-old man and a 37-year-old woman were were taken out of the car. They still don't know which one of the two was driving. And then what happens is the police bring out divers, and they start searching the river because there was a concern that a, a third person might have been in the vehicle. I think they've I think they've discounted that. Don't don't know for sure, but they didn't find anybody. But they were doing a search to see if there was a third person that might have gotten you know into the river. The way this is being described to me is that the car rolled down this embankment, and, and actually the driver and the passenger are extremely lucky because if the car had gone just a little bit further, it would have been in the river. And so instead of taking people out of the car and sending them to the hospital to be treated for injuries, you're, you're talking about a whole different world of hurt if you roll that car into the river because – Again, you, you never know for sure what's going to happen, but it's better than even probably these people in that vehicle are going to drown. But so they're, they're lucky they got out of it. But by chasing them, it clearly probably caused them to drive faster, to lose control, to roll the car, and to potentially you know d- endanger themselves and to endanger others. So I got a text this morning saying, okay, Jeff, these people could have died, you know, all because the police decided to chase them after they blew through a red light. Is it worth it? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The implication being, gee, I would prefer you not to chase because when people do this, they're going to drive away, they're going to drive in a reckless fashion, and there's a better chance that they're going to hit somebody or cause some problems or injure themselves. It's best just to let them drive away. Now, in this particular case, again, the car has no license plates, so if you don't try to pull them over, you're, you're never going to probably see them again. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, maybe I'm just hardcore about this. I have no problems chasing. Now, I I think, again, the biggest concern that you have to have is the safety of the officers and the safety of any third parties. But in a case like this, a a minute-long chase, and it turns out that the bad guys roll the car and damn near kill themselves, sorry. To me, it's a real simple thing. You know, if you don't want to endanger yourself, don't run. 855-616-1620, and I will tell you this, I think the city of Milwaukee and surrounding communities are a lot safer today than they were a few years ago because we do, in fact, chase. And bad guys need to know that just by going 90 miles an hour and blowing through red lights doesn't mean that that's your get-out-of-jail-free card. No, I'm not sympathetic to the people that rolled the car. And, yes, I'm glad the cops chased. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Sharon on the northwest side. Sharon, good afternoon. 
afternoon. I was just calling to say I totally agree with Jeff Wagner about uh, the police being able to chase. Right. I don't feel uh, going the other way would help the whole situation. Well, no, th- um, no, thanks for the call, Sharon. You know, and that's I, I, well, we, we've seen, we saw what happened during that four or five year period where the police didn't chase, and, and all it did was enabled and emboldened criminals. Now, look, I I understand there's always some risk to that, and. And to me, like I was saying earlier, the, the big concerns are it, it's not the bad guys. I mean, if, if you decide to take off and you drive your car down an embankment and you end up rolling it, and you drown. Sorry, I, I, I am. But you're the one that brought that about. My concern, of course, is for the safety of police officers and the safety of pedestrians and things like that. But at the same time, given all the reckless driving that's out there, I, I mean, it, it's not like if you don't step off the, this curb. In, on Capitol Drive, you, you, you're taking your life into your own hands, regardless of whether police chase or not. Uh, Vincent on the northwest side as well. Hi, Vincent. Good afternoon, Jeff. I totally agree with the uh, Milwaukee police chase policy. We need to get these individuals off the Milwaukee streets. They're out here creating mayhem daily by driving recklessly, running through red lights, speeding on, speeding down these uh, down the Milwaukee streets. And how many times have we heard of these individuals who have crashed into innocent people and killed them? Yeah. We've had elderly people just going to church or whatever they're doing or coming from some, some event, and they end up dying because, because some, uh, some, some idiot out here decides to run a red light. We've had other people just, just basically riding along, and they're just uh, right. uh, trying to uh, complete their day. And we've, had, and we've had individuals just run them over. You know, even on the sidewalks. Yep. So no, these individuals who decide to do these things, if they if they end up in the river or they end up uh, crashing and hurting themselves because they decide to run from the police officer, it's their own fault. They're breaking the law. I, I, exactly. They need to get off the Milwaukee streets. Right. No, thanks. And and the problem is, that by if you don't chase, and we we learn this, if we don't chase, it doesn't stop the behavior. All it does is encourage more people to do it because the word gets out to run. And, and matter of fact, I, you, you, you saw that for a while in the suburbs because you had criminals from Milwaukee who knew that, hey, the, the police won't chase. But they didn't realize that Brookfield didn't follow that same rule or you know, the, the Washington County Sheriff's Department or the Zaki County Sheriff's Department or the city of Mequon, they didn't follow those same rules. So you had these idiots that would go out and they'd commit crimes out in the suburbs, and then they'd be shocked that, hey, I, I'm actually being chased. No, and again, look, I appreciate you, you've got to... You, you've got to take each one on a case-by-case basis, and you, you have to say, okay, this one is too dangerous for, for me to, to do it. It's too dangerous to the police. There, there's too many cars that are out there. There's too many pedestrians. In cases like that, we've got to try to do whatever we can, maybe try to call ahead and put down stop sticks or, or whatever. Somebody's texting me, well, in L.A., they put up traffic helicopters, and they get all sorts of police on the street, and they try to coordinate off, and then they try to follow them home. Well, okay, that that's all wonderful, but you know, you see what's going on in the city of Milwaukee. I mean, every time some yo-yo runs from the police, I'm sorry, you can't get the police helicopter up there. You can't assemble fifteen or twenty squad cars and try to figure out where their house is. That that's just not practical. You've got to do everything you can to try to follow them and and force them to stop in the first place. And then, of course. The corollary to that, and this is an ongoing problem um, in in the city of Milwaukee and in Milwaukee County in general, is once you catch people for doing this, 
You, you've got to punish them. I mean, this this is not a victimless crime. And when people run through red lights and drive in a reckless fashion and try to escape the police, to me, it's it's you go to prison. You know, you don't pass go. You go directly to jail and you stay there for a while because this is the type of behavior that, I mean, it, it is in many respects just as dangerous as waving around a gun. In this case, though, it's a several thousand pound motor vehicle. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Greg in Oak Creek. Hi, Greg. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Hey, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you, I'm, and uh, don't get mad at me, but um, I, never I just get feel mad. that... I rarely get mad. Go ahead. Go ahead. Make your argument. <laughs> That's all I'm going to it's always good to hear a different point, though, right? So um, there were two other people in the car, if I'm correct, correct? There was at least one. They, they, they looked in the in the river for a third one, and they didn't find anybody. So they don't know if there were two or three. But there right. were two people. I, I, feel, I, I don't feel sorry for the guy, obviously, that was driving. I think he's a thug. I think he should be thrown in jail. Could have been the girl. I, I do they don't, by the way, could have been the girl. They, yeah. don't know whether, they don't know if it was the guy yeah. or the girl. Yeah. Right. So whoever was the driver, they decided not to stop, right? Yes. Um, unless they were being forced to keep going, as far as we know. But it, it would seem to me the driver is making the decisions. I that that person obviously should be put in jail. The other person, though, I, I feel for them and I feel for for their families because of a bad decision. That person is 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 also going to get in trouble. And, and could get hurt or killed or whatever. And anybody that's in their way because they're making that bad decision, they're going to get hurt as well. Um, I like the idea that they can um, photograph their license plates. Of course, this, uh, car did, down later. this car didn't have a license plate. Yeah. And, and, and we'll take a description of the car. Um, maybe call ahead to other, other areas where maybe you can black it up. Try to do it more safely. I just don't like the idea... Once these people run, it's like a missile, and somebody's going to get hurt. Now, I, well, Greg, I, I, I appreciate it, and I guess I, I will respect. I, I, I will respectfully disagree because you're right. Somebody could, in fact, get hurt. Now, there, I guess we we don't know for sure whether the passenger is going, oh, slow down, slow down, or whether the passenger is going, here, hit that turn, let's get away faster. My, my guess is it's it's probably more likely to be my scenario than yours, but I respect all that. But but the bottom line of of this is, it's you you. By allowing people to run, what you do is I think you make the community a lot more dangerous. Because, like I say, it encourages people to run. And also, what what do you think is going to happen? I mean, if the car blows through an intersection on, what was it, 5th and Mitchell or whatever that was, at 7 o'clock at night, high rate of speed, no license plates, do, do you, what, what happens when they do it? four or five blocks later or when they do it 30 minutes later do the same damn thing and in that particular case there there's you know a a pedestrian who's in the intersection who gets hit when the car does that i mean it's it's not like gee we don't chase and all of a sudden the person's going to start driving responsibly at least that that's kind of my theory about this and and again i i think you have to be careful i'm not saying that you automatically floor it all the time and chase everybody to conclusion sometimes you just got to let them go and sometimes it is hey let's see if we can get some identifying information let's see if we can figure out where they're going to go a lot of times when they're chasing these cars they're stolen cars to begin with which is one of the reasons why people are running see that's always the question that i'd have if i was a cop it's okay why are these people running from me i mean are they running because it's fun 
Are they running because there's a body in the trunk? Are they running because they just killed three people and they're trying to get away? Are they running because they've got $100,000 worth of heroin in the car? Why is it that they're running? Because, let's face it, normal people don't run from the police. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been pulled over. I've been pulled over once or twice, but just once or twice. Actually, it's, I, I, you know, whether I've been lucky or whether I'm a decent driver. But, okay, the police pull you over. You pull over to the side of the road. You pull out your license. You pull out your registration. You give them your insurance card. And you say, gee, officer, you know, what, what's the problem here? You interact and you go about your life. When, when somebody, if I'm a cop and all of a sudden I'm pulling somebody over and boom, they take off, that tells me that there is a reason why they are running. And chances are that reason is because they've done something even worse than simply blow through the red light or whatever. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. I knew this wasn't going to end well. Uh, The Attorney General, Bill Barr, I actually know him. He was, um, when I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office, he was the the final attorney general to serve under uh, the first President Bush. And so I, I, I worked in, in the Milwaukee office, the attorney's office, but I, I had a chance to meet him a couple of times. I got pictures of me in Washington, D.C. with Bill Barr. I, I always I liked him a lot. And, I mean, again, my dealings with him were, you know, 25 years ago. But I always thought he was a really smart, sharp guy, sharp guy and, a, and a straight shooter. And I, I sort of followed his career over the years and a number of his readings. So I will be the first to tell you, I was surprised when he decided that he was going to come back and, and take the, the job of attorney general over again um, under President Trump, simply because it, it struck me as being a no-win situation. I mean, President Trump Love him, hate him, whatever. He's very tough on people who work for him. Um, and, and he doesn't really, I think, that there's not too much respect for loyalty. I mean, look what happened to Jeff Sessions, who was uh, one of his very first supporters in, in the U.S. Senate, then became the attorney general. And President Trump never forgave Jeff Sessions for allowing the appointment of a special prosecutor. So I always thought Bill Barr was just... I was surprised that he was going to come back and and do this just because, again, rightly or wrongly, President Trump is very difficult to work for. And apparently that's that's how it's turning out now. Big headline in The Washington Post. President Trump is said to be livid at Bill Barr, one official suggesting the termination is possible. So what what was uh, Attorney General Barr's sin? Well, he he gives a statement to the press where he says that um, there's, at least as far as he is aware, there's no evidence of of any sort of election-shifting fraud. (laughs) He just says, look, we've been looking at all this stuff, and we can't find any evidence that there was any sort of fraud which would have changed the outcome of the election. And for that, President Trump is apparently ready to, even with like six or seven weeks left in his term, you know, cut cut Bill Barr loose. You, you knew it was not going to end well. You just didn't. And again, I, I go back, and I said this at the time, when F- Bill Barr first decided to take this job, I'm thinking, man, I hope you know what you're getting into. And um, it, I guess it should surprise nobody that now that he's at least saying things that President Trump doesn't want to be true or doesn't agree with, uh, now he might be the next one to go. Bill Barr is actually a very, very good guy, and I think he deserves better than the way he was treated both by President Trump and by the media over the course of the last couple years. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This could be the death blow for movie theaters as we know them. This has been a very, very difficult year. Okay, the last couple of years have been challenging for the, the movie theater industry because... There's so much competition that's out there. I mean, now with all the different streaming services and with um, things like Netflix and Hulu providing their their own content and essentially competing with like the the Hollywood releases that come out and, are, and play you know on the different movie screens and stuff. There's always been a challenging time when it becomes easier for people just to say, you know what, I'm I'm going to sit home in my living room and my bathroom's right around the corner and I, I've got my refrigerator and I can pop my own popcorn and I don't have to spend you know twelve dollars for a giant diet soda and I don't have to spend twenty four dollars for the giant uh, thing of milk duds. There, there's always been the, these challenges. Then on top of that, you throw in the whole COVID experience where people, at least for the better part of the last year, have been uncomfortable wanting to go out into public spaces. Then on top of that, you add the fact that Hollywood, you know, has really not been making that many movies. You've got all these different movies that were in production or were going to go to production and, and they halted those during the pandemic. And now you've got a situation where even if the movies are getting completed, it's like, well, do we release them now knowing that people aren't going back to movie theaters? So those are all the, those challenges that are out there. Well, okay, Christmas, it's Christmas Day. The the next big blockbuster that's coming out is the Wonder Woman sequel. Um, it's one called Wonder Woman 1984. And it it's being released in theaters on Christmas Day. And historically, I've always thought this is interesting. Christmas Day is the big day for new releases. Uh, maybe it's, I think, presumably because after being with, with, with your family on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day, you want to get the heck out of the house. Is that how it works, Drew? It was never a, a family thing for, for my family, going to a movie theater on Christmas. Yeah. But for, for some, it's a big deal. No, and so that's why you have all the, the different releases that, that are out. So Christmas Day has always been a big release. So this year... Wonder Woman is going to be Wonder Woman 1984 the sequel is going to be released in theaters on Christmas Day. But 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 the same day, Christmas Day, it is also going to be streamed on HBO Max. HBO Max is of course the it's the new streaming service that that HBO has. You got to pay for it separately, but it it's there to compete with Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and all that. So Wonder Woman 1984, if you want to watch it, you don't have to go out to a movie theater on Christmas Eve. All you have to do is sign up for HBO Max and you will be able to watch it. Okay. So obviously movie theaters can't be happy about that. Well, the news today really can't make movie theaters happy. Here's the deal. Um, Warner Brothers, which is owned by AT&T, has just announced that they are going to release all their 2021 slate of theatrical films. So every movie, and I think 21 is how many they had planned, every one of the movies that they have during the next year, 2021, that they are going to be releasing they have announced that they're going to follow the model they're following with Wonder Woman. In other words, every one of the films, every one of them, is going to be released simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max the same 
day. Um, so, you know, the one thing that movie theaters have always had is they, they've had an exclusivity that, yeah, I mean, the, the, the new releases, they're, yes, they're, they're going to be on the streaming services and they're going to come to DVD or they're going to come to on demand and that type of stuff. But, but they've always said, okay, for, for at least a few weeks or six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it is, if you want to see Wonder Woman 1984 or the new James Bond movie or, or whatever, you, you, you got to go to the movie theaters. Not anymore. Warner Brothers, like I say, announcing that all the, th- all their new releases are going to debut in theaters the same day as they debut on HBO Max. Um, the movies will play on HBO Max during their first month of theatrical release before leaving the service while staying in theaters. So for that, that first month, you'll be able to go to a movie theater and see the show, or you'll be able to watch it on HBO Max. Then it'll disappear for a while from HBO Max, but still presumably be in the theaters. But it it just is a practical matter. You know, if you really want to see the new release, you're 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 going to see it in that that first 4-week period. The hybrid model will apply to all Warner Brothers films next year from smaller scale releases to big budget movies that traditionally, you know, require the huge box office sales to turn a profit. Um that includes a new installment of the Matrix franchise. Huh, not sure we need that. Uh, the new redo of the science fiction book Dune, um, plus other things as as well. All right, uh, this is the way the Wall Street Journal describes it. The decision is sure to jolt a Hollywood in the midst of overhauling how it makes and distributes films. With a majority of theaters closed in the U.S., studios have shifted focus to their streaming operations, where subscriptions are the key metric of success. This has meant that some of the biggest releases are premiered in the living room. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, this is just Warner Brothers. There's other studios that are out there. But if, if this is the new model, that the same day the th- movie appears in the theater, it's also going to be available for you on a streaming service. Is there any way at all that movie theaters are going to be able to survive? Eight five five six one six one six twenty, and my answer is, is no. At least not the giant multiplexes that depend on I don't know having the, the hot movie and then being able to show it on four or five screens. I I think this is going to flat out kill them, especially if more movie theaters follow this model. Because yes, there will be always be some people. Hey, it's date night. You know, we're going to run to the theater and you know we want to see this movie on the big screen. There's always going to be some people that are going to do that. But if the alternative is I, mean, I don't know, what's HBO Max, 12 bucks a month or, or whatever it might be? If the alternative is I can see every one of these first release movies the day they come out or within a couple days for 10 or 11 bucks a month, and I can do it, you know, in my man cave, aren't the majority of people going to do that? Will people still go to movies? Or at least will people still go to movie theaters in the numbers that the movie theaters need to generate profits? I don't see it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will people still go to movies when they can watch them same day on their screens at home? I don't see how I don't see how the old movie theater model is going to work. And I'm not rooting for its failure. I just don't know how it works. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
Will you still go to movies? Will other people still go to movie theaters? We discuss next. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 1499 is what HBO Max costs. I don't know if there's like deals that are involved. Jeff, I don't understand this. I mean, good grief. Do people never want to leave their homes anymore? I'll still be going as long as theaters are open. I've had enough of being home. Well, I, yeah, I, and, and there will always be, I, I mean, a demand for people to go to movie theaters. But at the same time, you, you need to have, you need to have that content that, that's out there. And if there's, if all the blockbuster movies are available for you to watch at home, well, yeah, there'll be times that, hey, this movie's come out, let's go go see it. But let's face it, it, it's a hassle to get in the car and go to the theater and buy the tickets and, you know, sit in that dark room with the guy behind you who's coughing up a lung and pay the $12 for the, the giant box of milk duds. I, the, those are all sorts of issues. And, and all you need, especially in a struggling industry, is for... I don't know, a certain percentage of people, 30%, 40%, 50%, decide that they're not going to go. And where is the content going to be to support these multi-screen theaters where you've had all the theater companies that have made the huge investments into the surround sound and the giant comfortable chairs and things like that? Um, just just don't know. Um uh, Jeff, I think this is the Darwinian natural selection of business, adapt or die. Yeah, I mean, that's how they're adapting. Jeff, I fear for the survival of movie theaters. The younger generation loves modern technology and watching films at home um, or on the go on their cell phones is becoming more and more convenient and acceptable. I truly hope the theaters will make a comeback. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I agree. And again, there, there's always going to be some sort of market for that. But. I mean, think of all these giant multiplex theaters that are out there and, and think about, you know, how you would drive past some of the, the like the Marcus the Majestic, the one out in Pewaukee or Brookfield. You, you drive past that on a Saturday night, look at the freeway that the, the place, the parking lot used to just be jammed. And a lot of times what they would have is they would have like the, the hot movie, whatever it was, would be on three or four screens all at once. Well, if you can now watch that movie at home, you know, a certain percentage of people are going to do it. Now, somebody was asking me whether they're going to do a separate charge for the, the movies or not, and I don't know the answer to that. You know, whether or not, in addition to spending the fourteen ninety nine to be on HBO Max, do you have to pay an extra $15 or $20 to watch the movie? Um, I, I don't know um, what that's going to be. Je- uh, Jeff, welcome to the new world. This is it. Jeff, I will continue to... Um, Go. I will continue to go to Broadway theater, the theater, um, to truly enjoy the theater, and will continue to do the same. I've got to have my Marcus movie theater popcorn. Um, yeah. Well, there, there's that. It, Jeff. I'd go, but only if they are real in prices. Right now, it's just way too expensive for really average movies. Jeff, this changes nothing for me. I only see movies in theaters that actually benefit from the big screen speaker system or for the social aspect with friends. I love the social aspect. There, There is something cool being in a, a, a darkened room with a bunch of, of strangers, you know, that, that collective experience. I, I like it, but at the same time, Inevitably, you've got the, the people behind you that are chattering through the whole thing, or it's, I mean, you don't mean to be antisocial. I like being around people until I don't. 
Not sure how profound that was. Jeff, sign me up for HBO Max. I don't like going out to the movies anyways. Um, Jeff, um, I think this is a terrible blow to movie theaters. Yeah, I think it's a terrible blow to movie theaters as as well. I think they're going to have to struggle with figuring out how to reinvent themselves and and figure out how to work this all out. And I don't know exactly what that answer is. Uh, once they, uh, let's see, let me just pull this up here. I've got the, uh, the financial news. Once um, AT&T announced this today, apparently AMC, that's the that's the biggest, I believe, movie company in the country. Um, their shares were down nearly 8% on the news. Right now, this is being rolled out as a one-year plan, I think, as they try to figure out how to deal with the pandemic. Doesn't mean they're going to continue to do it in the future, but I'm here to tell you something. If this works for, for Warner Brothers, you know darn well that you're going to have some of the other movie uh, producers, some of the other studios are going to be doing exactly the same thing. And if it's a success in 2021, you know that they're never going back to the theaters moving forward, which is the reality, I think, probably an unfortunate reality, though. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind. Please stick around.